You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Hello, Colts fans, and welcome to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. My name is Joe Hopkins. With me, as always, is Mike Chappell. Mike, how are you doing today? Pretty good. How are you doing? Oh, you know, the Colts are 0-3, so uh, currently life is pain, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get into the reasons why the Colts are 0-3 and, and if they can recover from this abysmal start Uh, obviously we'll talk about the Colts loss to the Titans today we'll discuss some takeaways from the game some injuries and what the Colts need to do to right the ship in order to still make a push for the playoffs but first we'll start with a little bit of news here the Jacksonville Jaguars have traded 2020 first round pick uh, CJ Henderson to the Carolina Panthers Uh, The Jaguars get tied in Dan Arnold in a third-round pick in return. Uh, Obviously, Carolina gets the first-round corner, and they also get a fifth-round pick. Henderson was the ninth overall pick less than two years ago, Mike. Another draft blunder for the Jaguars. It's amazing. I I don't think they can can mess up the top one, Trevor Lawrence. I mean, I think he's the real deal, but, you know, history tells you a a, a lot about a franchise, and and until they prove otherwise, there's always going to be a doubt, doubts about management down there. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I guess I would include Urban Meyer because he's proven nothing at the NFL level. So it, it, it's amazing how many prime draft picks have not panned out down there. Yeah, the Jaguars certainly in rough shape, but the Colts don't have a lot to say right now with the same record as Jacksonville. Uh, obviously, the Colts fall to 0-3 after a 25-16 loss in Tennessee. Indy joins the Jacksonville Jaguars, New York Jets, and Giants, as well as the Detroit Lions as the NFL's other winless teams. This is the first time the Colts have opened 0-3 since 2011, and just the eighth time since the relocation in 1984 let's go ahead and get to the game here both teams start the game with a three and out but then the titans on their second drive go on an 11 play 71 yard drive uh it ends with a chester rogers touchdown familiar face in indianapolis there to put the titans up seven nothing rogers with the ty ty celebration and a tribute uh, to his former teammate currently recovering from the neck injury Hopefully we'll see T.Y. sooner than later because this passing offense certainly needs some help. Uh, and and that, that showed up on the Colts' second drive. It begins with the Jonathan Taylor 23-yard run off the left side. Uh, I believe his young, longest run of the year to that point. But then a Carson Wentz intentional grounding call backs the Colts up. They're never able to recover, and they have to punt after just four plays. Titans now driving into Colts territory when Darius Leonard comes in with an interception, kind of kind of saves the Colts bacon in that aspect, gives Indianapolis the ball back with good field position. And Mike, it took nine plays, but the Colts finally got into the end zone to tie the game. It was a little Naheem Hines scamper run there. Uh, the Colts' first rushing touchdown of the year, actually, uh, and the Colts tie 7-7. Seven to seven. Titans with the ball again, and it would not be tied for long. Tennessee goes on an eight-play, 75-yard drive. This one ends with a Westbrook touchdown from 18 yards out, and the Colts are down once again. Indianapolis with the ball, looking to respond, 
Uh, first down, they lose seven yards uh, on a little end around with Ashton Doolin. Never able to recover from that, and they end up going three and out for the second time in the half. Tennessee, already with a seven-point lead, looking to extend their lead when Ryan Tannehill is intercepted by one Mr. Kenny Moore. Again, the defense bailing out the Colts, and with less than a minute before half there, the Colts are able to get into field goal range. Um, a penalty helped them out, an 18-yard pass to Michael Pittman Jr. Really helped them out, and then Naheem Hines would gain another five yards before Rodrigo Blankenship would knock through a 43-yard field goal. So for all that happened in the first half there, the Colts are just down 14 to 10. And Mike, they really began the second half with a great drive, 17 plays. It took over eight minutes off the clock. But after getting down in goal-to-go situation, once again, the Colts end up having to punt. First down, Carson Wentz just straight up misses Michael Pittman Jr. in the end zone. Uh, Pittman Jr. ends up laying out for it. It's off his fingertips. Uh, it should have been an easy touchdown. And then a couple incomplete passes to Zach Paschal. Mike, if I remember, there was a questionable no call on Zach Pascal in the back of the end zone on this one where the defenders kind of face guarding him, falling into him. The ref doesn't give him the flag. Uh, Colts settle for a 28-yard field goal uh, to make it 13-14. to But this is just another example of the Colts' woes in the red zone. Well, I'll take it a step further. It's, it's an example of their woes first and goal. They, they've had, in three games, they've had eight first-and-goal situations. Eight. And they've got three touchdowns. Three touchdowns, three field goals, and most damning, two drives. They don't even get points on the turnover, the interception against the Rams and the sack early. I think it was against uh, Seattle. You've just got to make plays. Wentz down there is, I just broke it down today, he's 5-12 of 12 with one touchdown, 29 yards, and three. T- his three touchdowns have been, uh, inside the uh, 10, drives a start inside the 10 to Zach Pascal, but they've just got a execution, play calling. Whenever, whenever it doesn't work, you're supposed to call something else. I mean, that, that's how we all criticize, but whatever the problem, they are, they are not executing in the red zone. And this team is, we've talked about this already, this team's not good enough to be given field goals in games where touchdowns are right there. And it's hard to see how this is going to change until maybe they get T.Y. back in the next game or two. But this, when you get down to the red zone, inside the 10, it's players. Players making plays. And right now, they simply aren't making the plays. Aren't making the plays. And you say play calling or execution. It's looking like both right now. I mean, you can question the play calling all you want. But when you have a wide open Michael Pittman Jr. in the end zone. And he, and and he, he, throw, and he, throws, him high, and he throws him high off his hands. That's, that's one you've, you simply got to make. Uh, not the catch, the throw. And, you know, it's hard for me to be too critical of Carson Wentz from Sunday. He couldn't move. And with with your right ankle taped up and sore the way it is, it's it's just simply got to impact how you plant and throw. So however poorly he played or whatever, I'll give him a break. We can talk a little bit whether he should have been playing or not. But there's a lot of excuses, and people don't want excuses. They want results. 
Yeah, and, and, you know, not only the ankles, but the lack of practice time with Michael Pittman Jr., uh, I'm sure contributed that errant throw as well. Uh, Titans with the ball, one-point lead. They go 76 yards in seven plays. They look like they're about to extend their lead when Rakusen rips the ball away, causes a fumble. Um, let's see. Yasin actually ends up being the one recovering the, the ball as well. That's Indianapolis's third takeaway of the game. And the Colts are back in business, but the offense can't do a whole lot with it. I mean, they get, they get one first down off a couple Jonathan Taylor runs, and then a Paris Campbell catch ends up being overturned and called incomplete. Uh, and then the Colts throw another incompletion to Michael Pittman Jr. before Carson Wentz ends up being sacked on third down, and they got to give the ball right back to Tennessee. Uh, That ends up being fatal because Tennessee uh, ends up scoring. They go all the way down about 59 yards. A Jeremy McNichols touchdown on third and goal from the 10. Third and 10, and they couldn't keep the Titans out of the end zone. Uh, Tennessee would be successful in the two-point conversion attempt as well, and the Titans take a 22 to 16 lead. Colts now with the ball. They're driving once again. They have first and goal from the seven. Wentz goes incomplete to Zach Pascal. Naheem Hines gains just two yards on second down. And then Wentz incomplete to Pascal again. Uh, they end up settling for Rodrigo playing and chip field goal to at least make it a one possession game. But as we say time and time again, you can't keep settling for field goals in the red zone, in goal-to-go situations, because then Tennessee gets the ball back, and they answer with the field goal of their own, basically putting the game out of reach. Um, They have a nine-point lead now with about two minutes left in the ball game. Um, The Colts driving again, but the drive stalls around the Tennessee 33. Blankenship tries a 51-yard field goal, and it's no good wide right. And that would basically do it for this game. Um, you mentioned it, Mike. Carson Wentz clearly not himself. Uh, Frank Wright said he believed that a 70 to 80% Wentz was the team's best option, and he likely was because his team never addressed the backup quarterback position in a meaningful way during the off season. Wentz finished 19 of 37 for 194 yards passing. Uh, no touchdowns, no interceptions either. He sacked twice. And unlike in his first two games, zero rush attempts for Carson Wentz in this one. Uh, he clearly was a statue out there, could hardly move. Uh, there were times he, he bought a little bit of time and invaded pressure, but that was the most he could do. And hopefully whatever percentage Carson Wentz was this past game improves closer towards 100% for the Colts' upcoming game against Miami, I believe. But Mike, Carson Wentz, playing uh, injured at this level is not going to get it done. Yeah, two things on that. First of all, if he's, Frank said, 7 or 80%, which I think that's very generous. I don't think he was near 80. I don't think he was near 70. If he's your best option, being that limited, what does that say for Brett Hundley and Jacob Eason? Well, it says that the team, as we've talked about, didn't do the right job in the offseason or even in training camp of addressing the backup job. They just didn't. Let's keep in mind, Brett Hundley was going to be the backup. He was going to start if Wentz couldn't play. And Brett Hundley was on his couch in July. And 
and, and he's going to beat out Jacob Eason, that, that shows you that what our eye, eyes told us during training camp and even the preseason, we can believe. You know, they, they kept talking glowingly about Eason making progress, and we see the progress, and this, that, and the other. And we really didn't see that. Uh, and, and for Brett Hundley to be the better option it, it is just crazy. It's just crazy. And it's too late to worry about it now unless you're going to go make a trade for Nick Foles. And right now the Bears need Nick Foles, so that's not going to happen. Wouldn't happen anyway. But the other the other issue is, it, it's why would anyone believe that Carson Wentz is going to be better in Miami, health-wise? I mean, he, he just went through an entire game on his ankles and took some hits. They're going to be, unless they've got some miracle rehab possibilities, they're in this cycle now of playing him, and then rehab, rehab, no practice, no practice, practice limited on Friday, and play on Sunday. So I don't know how, well, the only way to get out of this cycle is to set him down for a couple of weeks. Uh, and if you're, if you're going to do that, you should have done it last week for the Titans game and and then just take what comes. But right now, with a lot of these players, Darius Leonard, we'll see about Quentin Nelson, but, but you're playing guys who are rehabbing during the week, treatment, and playing. And to, to, common sense tells you that that takes a massive toll on the body. So to, to think Carson Wentz is going to be even closer to being – 90%, it just doesn't make sense. So I, 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 the only way to get out of this cycle is to set him down, and I don't think they'll do that. At what point do the Colts seriously think about doing that? Is it if they start 0-4 after losing next week to Miami, 0-5? Because not only would they at a certain point be best served to – let Carson Wentz fully heal so he could at least get healthy. If they're not even looking at the playoffs, let him get healthy and maybe gain some momentum and some chemistry with this team heading into next year, one. But also, B, if the Colts are going to be that bad and their first-round pick might be close to top 10, uh, it might be worth sitting Carson Wentz so they can keep that first-round pick and have that draft capital to address the team. Yeah, it's a little bit early to be thinking that, but but really not, because you know it's that seventy and seventy five percent threshold. What is it seventy if they if they don't make the playoffs, seventy five if they do? I think it is. Yeah. So we sort of figured he's got to play, he's got to miss about four games, snap wise, for for the Colts to keep that first round pick. Right now, that that pick is is number three. That you know, going on whereabouts that it'll be the third pick overall. And it, it might not look bad, or it might look bad optics-wise late in the season. But if this season's going nowhere, and right now, unless they pull out of it, it's going nowhere, you have got to set him down enough games to keep your first-round pick. It's, I mean, it, it's mismanagement to do otherwise. Well, Now, that, that may be a moot point on, on the decision, because the way – that the offensive line is protecting or not protecting, it's hard to imagine him playing close to 17 games. I, what struck me, what I was most disappointed in yesterday, among a lot of things, you've got a quarterback who can't move at all. He made Phillip Rivers look like Steve Young. He really did. So you've got a quarterback that can't move, and you're throwing, you're having quick draw or 
shorter drops, quicker throws. He sacked twice, could have been sacked two or three more times, and he was hit eight more times. I mean, to have pressure in those situations with that game plan is inexcusable. I thought Eric Fisher had a very poor game. I thought he got abused on the, on the left side of the line. So, And now you may be without Quentin Nelson. I've seen reports at the high ankle sprain. We'll see if Frank Reich clears that up later today. But, you know, there's a likelihood that Braden Smith doesn't play. Uh, and then you've got Quentin Nelson. His, his, question, his, his situation is questionable. So I, I said all along, I hate to simplify it, but until they get the offensive line fixed, I don't know what, if it matters, who quarterbacks – but, but Carson Wentz in this condition, it, 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 it's it's just hard to imagine him doing playing well enough to get this team a win. Now, maybe they can in Miami uh, because without, without Tua, Jacoby Brissett's a very limited quarterback as well. But it's a perfect storm right now of, of things going wrong, and I just don't know how this team pulls out of the tailspin. It's uh, it's looking a little tough for the for the good guys there. Uh, I guess one of the questions I had was why didn't the Colts stick to the run game? The running backs carried the ball just 16 times, despite being pretty effective. Jonathan Taylor had a season best 64 yards on just 10 rush attempts. Hines carried the ball six times for a healthy 4.2 yards per carry average. He finished with 25 yards on the ground in the Colts' only touchdown of the year. But it just seemed peculiar to me, Mike, for the Colts to ask their gimpy quarterback to throw the ball 37 times uh, when they only ran the ball 18 total times, I believe. That's a head-scratcher to me. Well, and Frank Reich was asked that after the game, and he he mentioned flow of the game. But I thought he also indicated more that this may have been a result of the quarterback checking out of runs. You get to the line of scrimmage and you see how they're stacked. And wouldn't you stack the line against this team? I simply wouldn't. Yeah. They're not throwing the ball down the field. So you stack the line. And, and you know, in common sense tells you the quarterback, if, they, if they're crowding the line, you check out to throw the ball. Well, but the, then the end result is, again, like you said, 16 carries for the running backs. And this looked like a game that Jonathan Taylor could really get some you know, make some hay again. He's he averaged six point four. He had that twenty three yarder, a couple of tough runs on fourth and one. So, so whether the flow of the game coming from Frank was him sort of protecting his quarterback, that that wins checked out of more runs to get the shorter passes, which is fine, but when they can't even protect the quarterback on his short drops, uh, it's like I say, it's just hard to understand how they get out of this performing the way they are. I was looking, and after three games, they have had the lead for six minutes and 18 seconds. That's just ridiculous. You, you just can't – you're not giving yourself a chance. And until they – I thought that – I hate to praise the defense too much, although they had three takeaways. Uh, and they had some stops. Derrick Henry, what, 113 yards. But four yards an attempt, I, I can live with that generally. Mm-hmm. You know, A.J. Brown, a non-factor. Julio Jones, a couple of good, really important catches. But he only had 47 yards on three catches. But but it, th- this is the complimentary football from hell. You know, Zaire Franklin roughing the kicker, which fortunately it, it, it didn't bite him. 
And then Blankenship misses the 51-yarder. It's a tough kick, but he's now one for four on 50-plus. So it's, you, you kind of want to say, well, they're going to get this right because of. And I don't know where I can come up with a because of. And it's play calling. It's, 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 it's execution. Uh, Michael Pittman had a drop, a big drop. I thought Pascal had a drop at the goal line. He bobbled it before he was hit. Uh, you you, you got to make tough plays. The, the ball is always not going to right be there. I'm not blaming Pittman on the on the end zone. That ball was uncatchable just off his hands. But they're not doing anything out of the ordinary that it takes to win games. Yeah, you mentioned the defense. They had the three takeaways. I, I thought the defense played well enough to win this game. The Colts should have won this game, and history tells tells you the Colts should have won this game. I saw a nice stat there uh, in your article, Mike, heading in, into the game. Teams that were three plus in the takeaway battle since 2011 had won 91.7 percent of the time. Uh, Colts lowered that percentage on Sunday. Um, and you mentioned Derrick Henry, 113 yards, but on 28 carries. Yes, it was his fourth straight 100-yard rushing game, but they kept him out of the end zone. Uh, aside from the two-point conversion, but they kept him from scoring a touchdown. His longest run was just 19 yards. I mean. We talked about in our preview show, that's basically what the Colts needed to do against Derrick Henry. They kept him from getting loose. Uh, They made him earn it. Um, Just 4.0 yards per carry. That's about as the best you can ask for against Derrick Henry when he gets the ball 28 times. I think he had another three catches as well. Um, So when he touches the ball that many times, he's going to get his yards. But they kept him... Uh, from breaking loose, and the offense just wasn't able to convert on the other side there. Uh, And then one more point about Michael Pittman Jr. I remain high on him, but I I remember that specific down-the-field deep shot to Michael Pittman Jr., and it goes off of the defender's helmet who's not even looking at the ball. Mike, you're 6'4". you got to go up and high-point that football. You can't just wait for it to fall into your hands. Go up and make the play. It almost feels like the Colts are waiting for the plays to happen out there, and they're not going above and beyond to, as you said, do those extra things to win the game. One other thing on the defense. Uh, I thought, again, I thought they did a winnable job on Henry for the most part. But Tannehill throws three touchdowns, again, to guys not named Jones and Brown, and he just torched them on three scrambles where he broke containment and, and picked up 58 yards, I think, and three first downs. In the pass rush, once Quiddy Pay went out, if they would have had a pass rush with him, they had one sack with uh, Okereke, formerly Okariki, and, and only one other hit on the quarterback. So they are not getting pressure which has been a, you know, it's a theme for three games. And it is so hard, if not impossible, to play defense without a pass rush. So no pass rush on defense, and the offensive line isn't blocking anybody. That's a great recipe for success right there. Well, it's, it's a recipe for 0-3. Yeah, yeah and, and maybe 0 and many more. We'll, we'll see. The Colts have an 0-3 start. India's never reached the playoffs after – starting 0-3, and since the league expanded to 16-game season in 1978, only six of the 228 teams to open 0-3 clawed their way back into the postseason. Another great uh, statistic there in your article, Mike. 
the, the odds are against Indianapolis on this one, and they're going to need a lot of things to, to come together in order uh, to even compete for a playoff spot. Um, they're probably looking for a wild card at this point, and there's a lot of good teams in the AFC. I mean, you look at the AFC West by itself. The Raiders are 3-0. and The Chargers are looking good after beating the Chiefs, and the 1-2 and Chiefs are certainly going to have a resurgence as well as long as Patrick Mahomes is there. So uh, the Colts have a, a lot of catching up to do, and in order to catch up, they have to prefer, perform better in critical situations such as third down and in the red zone. The Colts were just 3 of 12 on third down Sunday, and they're just 13 of 36 on third down for the season. That's 36%. Not going to get it done. The Colts entered the game 3 for 8 on posting touchdowns in the red zone, and that trend remained true on Sunday. 1 for 3 on red zone trips. Uh, Mike, execution, play calling, whatever it is, the Colts have to figure it out in these crucial situations. And, you know, do it without without a, a healthy team. And fans don't want to hear it, and we don't want to write about it, but but it is a fact. Uh, the main players are either playing hurt or not playing. So that that means your, your next man up has got to step up and play. But right right now, your your backup offensive linemen are playing more than your starters, uh, and it, I just hate to see them getting so little out of Jonathan Taylor, and even Naheem Hines. You know, the, the, right now they're their two best offensive players, but when you're not playing with the lead, and, and you're not pushing the ball down the field, and you're not run blocking very well, it's just hard to maximize two of your best players. You know, maybe they find a way to get this thing turned around because it's strange things can happen. But a player or two has got to step up. I don't want to say do more. You try to you try to do more, and then you make mistakes. But when tough plays have to be made, uh, Michael Pittman down the field, Zach Pascal at the goal line, or whatever, you've got to make those plays because right now the other team is making those plays. It may, and maybe he's he's playing hurt as well, but where is Paris Campbell? Where is the guy who last year we saw, uh, you know, have seven catches in the season opener and look like he was going to have this huge role? It, it, he either is not quite right or the Colts staff feels like they have to protect him for some reason. And, and when, he, when I do see him out there, he's not playing – in that same role that we saw at the beginning of last season with the end arounds and the short stuff where it's like, just get the ball in his hands and let him go. Uh, it's almost like the Colts have given up on him being able to hold up in that kind of role, but that's the kind of role. If he's going to be effective, he needs to be in. He's not a, he, he, he was never a down the field guy at Ohio state. He was always known for taking those short catches in uh, doing something with it. So I, I guess I'm just kind of disappointed in what we've seen out of Paris Campbell to this point. Yeah, Sunday, four targets, two catches, nine yards, a five-yarder and a four-yarder. And then the one that was a low pass that, again, another another tough play that you probably need to make. But, yeah, you're right. It's it's When when you're missing players, the, the players you've got, and this is, again, a player that we talked about was sort of a wild card all year. This is the guy that can do things other guys aren't doing. So far, that's not the case. You know, is the abdomen still bothering him? 
if you play, if you're out there playing, it, 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 it's it's because you can do your job. So right now, either he's not doing it again with four targets. I, I don't know how much you can get done. You look at the targets: Pittman twelve, Hines six, Pascal seven. Pascal seven targets, two catches. Uh, it, it's just hard to get much done when you're when you're that inefficient. A lot of it goes back to the quarterback. He had to throw some away, threw one or two away in the end zone to Pascal. But again, it's a, it's a matter of players not making plays, or the coaching staff not putting them in position to make plays. But yeah, to this point, Paris Campbell has not been used, and it's just a disappointing start for him and the rest of the offense. Yeah, the disappointing start for the offense, and really a, a summer from hell for the Colts has turned into a. I guess we're in fall from hell at this point, even though fall is pretty young here as we're still in September. But the injuries just keep coming. Quentin Nelson has had a rough few months. Uh, His latest ailment is that ankle that we mentioned. He's had 54 straight starts, including the postseason. That seems uh, very likely to end this coming week unless he can, I guess, muster through uh, some ankle injuries just like just like uh, Carson Wentz, but if he's going to be just as effective as Wentz, I'd almost argue to sit him down and let him get healthy out there. Uh, we'll we'll keep an eye on the timetable. I haven't seen anything as far as how much time he's supposed to miss, so we'll, we'll keep you all updated on that on Twitter, at Colts Blue Zone, where we'll provide the latest news and analysis as soon as it comes. Uh, Mike, you mentioned Quiddy Pay. He was forced from the game in the first quarter with a hamstring injury. Uh, that could be huge. The Colts were relying quite a bit on their first-round defensive end to provide a pass rush. Um, a, it hasn't really he, – he's played solid through his first few games, but he hasn't really made those splash plays the Colts have been counting on. And if he misses time, uh, that's only going to hurt the pass rush. And then the fourth quarter, the Colts lost safety Kari Willis to a groin and quarterback Rocky Sin to an ankle. And Rocky Sin, for all the negative – uh, aspects of the Colts start to the season. Rocky Sin has not been one of them. He has played excellent so far this year. He was actually the highest graded uh, Colt from this past Sunday's game uh, by Pro Football Focus with, I believe, an 89 rating, which is really high for Pro Football Focus, and he earned it. Uh, hopefully those two players, their injuries aren't too serious and they can come back soon. Do you know any more about how serious their injuries are? No, hopefully Frank will give us an update, although he's been very re- either reluctant or, or, or whatever the word is. We we always talk to him before he meets with the medical staff in the evening, so I don't know how much of an update we'll get. Uh, but, but again, it, it, when you talk about depth, you know, players are backups for a reason. They, they, they just are. And when you start going so deep onto your depth chart this early in the season, remember they don't have their buy until, what is it, in December? So, yeah, so it's so down you, there. It, it's quite a waste to say, well, if we get to the bye week, these guys can enjoy extra time. That's not the case. So, you know, in, in safety and corner were two of the thinnest positions as far as proven backups to where you felt good about them. So we'll see how this thing goes moving forward. But, again, at Miami, at Baltimore, before things you think ease up schedule-wise. But by then, how far out of this will they be? Yeah, the Colts' next two games at Miami, at Baltimore. Then they have the Texans, who, you know, the, the Texans are, are one and two, but certainly in the 
their first few games, they haven't looked like complete pushovers now without Tyrod Taylor in the lineup. They, they looked a little different this past Thursday, but he may be back by the next time the Colts uh, get the Houston Texans. Then after the Texans, the Colts play at San Francisco. That's going to be a tough game. And then they host Tennessee again. So, you know, it, it doesn't really even ease up that much for the Colts. They could be looking at Hell, they could be looking at one and seven or something like that. And uh, at that point, I think you just have to put Carson Wentz down, protect your first round pick. It feels weird to just say that and purposely lose games. I'm not sure how you ask the other players in that locker room to say, hey, our first round pick is more important than winning at this point. But when you're already looking ahead to the next season, it just seems like something you have to do. I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about this as the season moves along. We're only three games in to this point. Uh, We'll wrap things up here with a look around the AFC South. Titans now take the division lead at 2-1. Houston, as I mentioned, um, they fall to second in the division after a Thursday night loss to Carolina. And the Jaguars remain winless as Arizona continues to tear its way through the AFC South. Uh, the Colts will play Arizona uh, the end of December there. So uh, it, they just have more difficult games on the schedule. Trevor Lawrence was sacked five times and threw another pair of picks. Certainly a rough start for the Colts, uh, for the Jaguars, number one overall pick there. Uh, but Mike, as you look at this division, Unless something drastic happens to Tennessee, the Colts will be playing for a wild card spot. Yeah, but I would argue still their best, their most realistic path to the playoffs is winning the AFC South, just because of the depth of the AFC. I just, I just don't see how they're they're going to end up being one of the best three wild card possibilities with this start. So somehow it's going to be easier, relatively speaking, to win the division. When you talk about like like we've talked about all the strong teams across the, the AFC is stacked this year, really stacked, and I just don't know how they get one of the three playoff or one of the three wild cards. So e- either path of the playoffs is difficult. Again, they've never done it. Zero and three. Although one caveat, they did come back from one and five. Remember in, in Frank's first year, they start one and five, and they won was it nine of ten or whatever it was, whatever the math is. So it can be done. It's it's just so hard because, again, like you mentioned, there there's still tough games down the road. There just are because it's it's a strong league. It there it, it's a it's a league with strength, and then as we said, five winless teams. Uh, I, I still think the best the best the, the most realistic route to the playoffs is the SEC South, but Sunday didn't do anything to help make that any smoother at all. That'll wrap up a bright and cheery Colts Blue Zone podcast this Monday afternoon. We'll be uh, looking for reasons for optimism on Thursday when the Colts play a Miami Dolphins team that is starting former Colt Jacoby Brissett as uh, Tua continues to uh, recover from his rib injury. So we'll be previewing that game with Thursday. Dave did, Griffiths. Did, 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 did you see the one the, the one crazy stat from Brissett's game on, on Sunday? No, lay it on me. He... he they had the first safety in league history, the first safety on a completed pass. That's oh, tough to that, that's tough to do. Did you see how did that happen? Did you watch the play? Oh, the, the ball was like at the two or three yard line, and he drops back and throws it into the uh, laterals to the you know horizontal to the end zone, 
and the guy got hammered uh, for safety. Yeah, that's tough. Back. It's tough. It's tough to do. No, he never got out of the end zone. He never even remotely got close to the line. So it's just one of those funky plays. And Brissett averaged like four yards an attempt, which is the Brissett we know. But I tell you, he balled out pretty good. He he played some really good football. Uh, th- that's why again, they need to have a quarterback who can make plays because the Dolphins. It, it, it's going to be a tough game down there, and we'll preview, preview that a lot more on Thursday. All right. Well, thank you for listening, Colts fans. Again, I am Joe Hopkins. You can follow me on Twitter at Roto Street Joe. Follow Mike on Twitter at mchapel51. Follow the Colts Blue Zone on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone, uh, where you can – that's the easiest way to just go ahead and follow all of us by following that account. Go ahead and subscribe and download for us so we can keep those numbers up, and we will be back on Thursday. 